hi everyone welcome back to the podcast now we've got a guest with us today that i've not spoken to directly probably for about a year maybe even more and last time we did an interview um, which is going to be very similar to the one we're doing today just with a few updates on what this person has been doing over the last 12 months and how they can help you so what i'd like you to do all folks is do a remote welcome to martin martin rapley from refurbishment mastery and martin has got a great story to tell about how he came into the industry and then we're going to talk a little bit about what the industry is like at the moment from martin's perspective so martin good well good morning good afternoon actually now if you're watching on the replay it probably will be good morning but good afternoon martin how you doing yeah i'm very good thanks rick it's uh, really good to be here speaking to you again and uh, yeah speaking to all of your subscribers um, I know, about I what I do. People that listening, um, Martin and I have been trying to pencil something in, I don't know, <laughs> probably for about four months, maybe even I think longer. So. Yes. And it's been really hard because whilst we've been through lockdown and whilst we're just coming out of lockdown too, I think we've got busier than we were before because most of our most of our businesses are now online and because they're online, we can do them at any time and they've just grown and scaled. So how have things been for you, Martin, during lockdown? So well, so I consider myself much more construction than property investor, although I am a property investor. So first lockdown, as with everything, the whole country closed down. But within about three weeks, construction sites were allowed to start operating again. So that was then this whole euphoria. Great, we're going to get projects back on track. And then there was the realisation that manufacturing hadn't opened up quite as quickly so then it was this whole issue of, right, we've now got guys wanting to do work, but now we can't actually find all of the materials we need. And of course, everyone knows the story of, of plaster, which was the, the national, uh, you know, had a national shortage in the end. Um, and then, of course, we got everything going and gradually worked through. But of course, then everyone ended up with massive backlog. And that backlog is still there now um, because you know, resources are, are, are pushed uh, thinner. We can't have as many, 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 as many people working on some of the projects we've got because of social distancing. Um, and even though this current lockdown hasn't technically affected construction at all, there's still this massive backlog. And I was talking to a, I was talking to a painter just yesterday, actually, and, and he's saying he's got enough work on in his pipeline to get him through till next Easter. Now, for a painter to say that, that is really rare, um, because and and he was saying this is planned work, leave alone things that will come up. He does a lot of work for letting agents. And he was saying that'll all come up as well um, because he just you know, can't get the volume through the business um, because, because of this, you know, the lockdown and the slowdown and the, the limited resources. And all so the cost, uh, I think all we've this got this for a bit. Pushes prices up as well, doesn't it? Uh, well, absolutely. Prices <laughs> at the moment, I think, yeah, prices at the moment are the highest they've ever been. Yeah. Not and just somebody, from a labour perspective. One of my students last week was quoted £10,000 for an ensuite bathroom in a HMO. Wow. Well, do you know, I'd have, I'd have gone and done it for nine. 10000 <laughs> I mean, crikey. So if you just backtrack a little bit then, Martin. So um, I can say, well, welcome to the show. If you could just give our new members, the ones that haven't seen our previous interviews, a little bit of background information as to who you are, what you do, etc. So then we can um, establish a little bit more on the points that we've just been covering. Yeah, sure. So, so my background is construction. I left school and went and worked for a building contractor initially as a quantity surveyor. So that's the person who looks after the finances. I did a quantity surveying degree way back then. 
um, and then drifted into more what we'd call project management. So I would I was working for medium-sized contractors, uh, primarily in the London area. I would pretty much price a project. If we won that project, I would then manage it through with a team of tradesmen on site and often a manager on site. And I'd have you know, three, four, five of those projects on the go at any one time. I'd been doing that for 20 something years, set up my own business, which ran in exactly the same way. And you've, you've, you know, all of you, everyone listening has worked with builders where there's been a manager at the top and then lots of tradesmen, not the way that all builders work. Some just turn up in a white van, but I managed a whole team of tradesmen and, you know, we had a good number of projects going on. But what I realized was that actually most of my clients were property investors and I'd not really seen property investors as a kind of demograph up till then. I didn't really know what a property investor looked like, but I realized that most of them were property investors. And I got quite excited because I suddenly realized that they were way more flexible than private clients. Private clients want everything millimeter perfect. Property investors want a bathroom with a shower and a wash basin and a toilet. And if it doesn't quite fit how it's drawn on the drawing, we'll just move the toilet a bit and make it work. And I quite like that flexibility. But at the same time, I could see property investors that didn't have the skills I had. And, and I didn't even realize I had these skills. And, and I was seeing property investors that were putting very unrealistic budgets towards the projects they were putting out. I was seeing them wanting to start projects with me where they hadn't got planning permission because they didn't realize they needed planning permission. They didn't understand what the building regulations were. They wanted to rush straight into listed buildings without getting listed building consent. And I, it was a, this was all at the time I was thinking, do you know, I think my days of managing building contracting projects directly is is dying, getting to an end. So 2013, I just wound up the building business and became a consultant solely for property investors and kind of learned how to be a property investor so that I could add that knowledge alongside my construct, construction knowledge and provide much more of a holistic uh, service and in fact along the way became a property investor we'd had we'd had one rental flat for years um, but never done anything more than that and suddenly by learning what a property investor was what they were looking for how they structured deals realized that I could do that myself alongside you know as it were the day job the consultancy business so you're you're helping people and you're helping students from the whole construction element so rather than you having a property course per se when it comes down to marketing and sourcing deals i think your your element is more focused on actually costings putting the work together putting the job together building regs listed buildings consent planning permission and all of those elements that's it and 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 connect with that from a management perspective how do we manage that process smoothly so, yeah, it's not to say I don't do anything, but I'm not, I'm certainly not there with a screwdriver or a paintbrush yeah. doing the work. I'm managing that process through. Um, I think it's, uh, a, it's, it's a really big piece of the jigsaw that's missing. Now, of course, I've got a program. We do teach that. And we do teach the whole process. You know, we teach how to draw up a schedule of condition. We do a walkthrough. We do them in individual costings, um, pretty much as a QS would do on a very low, low scale. Um, we cover building regs, asbestos surveys and all of that. But very much, you know, most of the property education packages are out there are kind of very much a general, general aspect of the whole 
the whole system rather than just being niche into actual buildings and, and contractual elements. So I've got a whole multitude of questions, Martin, that I've been given and I've been asked by students over the last few months. And I think the biggest one is how do you find a good building team? <laughs> And I think that's probably the most asked question. Probably you know, just as you were sitting there saying, I've got this big question, I'm thinking, <laughs> I know exactly what a question is going to be because whenever I go out networking, it's the first question I get asked. Um, you know, whenever I meet anyone, it's always the first question. Um, and and there's, there's a, a couple of what, things that I always say. First, first of all, recommendation is, is never a bad thing, but don't go on recommendation alone uh, because a lot of things with working with builders, it's like working with anyone, you've got to have some kind of relationship. So just because someone you've met at a networking event has had a brilliant relationship with this builder, you've got to know that you can have that relationship, same kind of level of relationship. The, the, the way that I still find builders, when I need to find builders for a new area where I'm working myself or working with clients, is I will walk around the streets, particularly if I'm looking for smaller projects, kind of you know, house to HMO conversions, walk around the neighborhood, look for the builders that are already working in the area. You know, it's a standing joke. The first thing these local builders do is they get the sign board out the back of the van and they put it on the gate. Well, that's their marketing. They're per se, they're not going to be on, uh, on Google. A lot of them will be on Facebook. You will find them on social media rather than on, on straight websites. Um, but, but, what I would say is when you see these builders, get talking to them and make a, uh, make a decision as to whether you could work with them. Go, and, go in and you know, a lot of them are very proud. They'll show you the projects they're doing. They'll tell you what they're doing. They'll, you know, if, they're, if they're that pleased, they'll show me, you know, introduce you to the owner of the property or whatever, and, and they'll tell you what they're doing. Uh, and the, the way I find builders is actually back to front. So... I, I don't actually go out looking for builders. I actually go out looking for people that I don't believe I could work with and aren't going to be the right builders for me, for whatever reason. Could be I can't understand a word the person says. It could be that I didn't like his attitude. It could be later on down the line, we arranged to have a meeting and he forgot to turn up and, you know, and didn't message me about it. So, so I'm, I'm critical. I, I, set, I set critical reasons not to use people. And I think where a lot of investors and probably a lot of members of the public go wrong is that they, they meet a builder and they, great, great, I've got a builder, I'm ready to go. Be critical. You know, if you're employing a member of staff, you would do a fair bit of due diligence before taking on that member of staff because of the aggro if you end up taking on the wrong member of staff. And it's so what due diligence can builders. you do? So if you've got a brand new investor and they're new to the game, they don't really know what to do and they're taking your advice and they're walking the streets and they see someone, they go inside the property, they look at the, the, the level of workmanship, et cetera. Is there a workflow of things that they should consider before instructing that builder to start working? Uh, absolutely, with them? yeah, absolutely. So, so as you walk into the, the project on that, that day, you know, when you walk off the street, First thing is get a feeling. Does it feel as though it's being managed? Is, there, is it chaos? Is it carnage? Is there stuff, stuff going on everywhere? Everyone's shouting, feel disorganised. Does it feel unsafe? You know, that's, a, that's all you know, that first gut feel. Um, you must, must, must take references on you know, these builders and you must 
go and see some of their other work. Now, it might be that you can speak to the owner of the, the building where they are at the moment. It may be that you, know, you can go back at a weekend and, and have a chat with them. They'll give you more of a candid reply. You might even have enough time to speak to them after the project's finished. A lot of these local builders get work through word of mouth. So if you talk to the owner where you're seeing the builder, they might say, oh, yeah, it was the guy around the corner that recommended him. Yeah, his daughter goes to school with my daughter, that kind of thing. Go and talk to them and get their feedback. It's very easy for builders, and this isn't just builders, it's very easy for anyone to give you a referee, and that referee is their mum. So be very careful, do some real due diligence to see that um, you know, it's, it's a genuine um, you know, reference you're getting. If you can go and see other work to look at and understand the quality, then, you know, then do that as well. But Martin, you know, this do, is a human how do, game. How do students know that they're getting a fair price on their project? What have they got to gauge it against? So, so, so I think two things with fair prices. The first thing is about putting together a sensible budget in the first place. So if you've already got an idea as to what you think the price is going to be, rightly or wrongly, at least you've got a benchmark to start from. And then the other thing is don't ever work with just one price. You know, the key thing is if you want to be sure you're paying the best price, and by the way, price isn't the only metric you would select on anyway, but price is definitely a, a key metric, um, then you need to have three prices in front of you. And, and at the moment, builders are busy. Builders are incredibly busy. We, Rick and I were talking about it just before the call. Yeah. And um, yeah, so to get three prices, you might need to talk to five or even six builders because one's going to say, actually, he's too busy. One's going to forget about it. And one's they're not going to be able to start until you know, six months' time, and that's not going to be appropriate. You know, so some of our students are finding it very hard at the moment just to get people into the door. So we've got people um, on our programs that have got viewings booked in. They've got second viewings booked in. They're trying to get builders around to give them some kind of indication before they can put a sensible offer into the property. And they're just really struggling right now to, to get to that point. Yes. So, so... I personally don't recommend taking a builder to a viewing. And that goes back to the days when I was running a building business. And it, I used to get really hacked off that people were taking me to a property they didn't own. It was bad enough going to a property they did own and then losing, the, losing it because you know, I wasn't competitive or for whatever reason. Yeah, that's part, that is part of the business. But to find that I'd met someone at a property they hadn't even bought... I got to a point where that I felt I needed to charge. Now that was all part of me coming out and moving over to being a consultant. And so isn't, now what isn't that a bit of a chicken and an egg though, because you know, how do you know how much to offer on a property if you don't know what the refurb cost is going to be? Absolutely. So this leads me into some of the training I provide, Rick, which is because I would rather teach property investors how to do their own budgets and what to look at and what to think about mm. because then they don't ever need a builder. Yeah. And what I encourage property investors to do, and I do this myself, is I'll go and look at a property at 10 o'clock in the morning. I'll take all my photos. I'll take all my notes. I'll have my laptop with me. I'll go and sit around the corner and have a cup of tea and I'll put the figures together in front of myself there and then so that within, within an hour, I know what I'm doing. Am I Am I parking it or am I going back? Do I want a I second visit? The, the thing is with that, though, is one, I mean, we, we work on between 350 and 450 a square metre for a back to brick. 
13 to 1500 pounds square meter for refurbs and extensions you know i mean because we've done it for so long but that's not to say what i'm going to pay because what the you know the price that i work on and the stack that we do based on a square meterage in this environment could be way way off and that's the problem because we can get a good guesstimate but if we're paying someone over the odds because they are so um, so busy right now, it could be the difference between the deal yes. working and the deal not working or the, the money coming out of the deal or the money being locked in. And that's the problem we're in. So if you can't get builders to the house before we put the offer in, it's a very difficult finger in the air situation for a lot of people at the moment. It, it, it is. And, and in fact, what I teach is, is break it down for the different jobs that need doing. So, so because... The, the, the risk of error on single line items is, is that much lower. And also, it's very easy to say to another property investor, oh, I know you put a new central heating system in a four-bedroom HMO last week. Yeah, what did it cost you? Then how much did it cost you to convert your house into a four-bedroom HMO, five-bedroom HMO? Yeah. Because there's many more variables. So I mean, you, you know, you've, you've just picked up on that point, central heating. We're getting quotes anything between five and seven grand for a full system. Yes. But, but it's, it's quite a massive variance, you know. And, and again, before we started talking, I've had students this week that have been quoted up to £10,000 for en-suites when we can do them for less than three. Um, you know, I mean, you know what's involved in an en-suite. If the soil stack is there, you can get a whole you know, a whole shower suite for less than 500 quid if you really wanted to do it on a budget. You know, um, plastering, you know, anything between 13 and 15 pound a square meter for, for, for plastering. But we've had quotes of 25, 30 pounds as well in the past. Yes. It's really difficult. Um, it, it, it absolutely is. And, and, and in fact, what I tend to say to people is, if you've got a figure in a budget, be it right or wrong, but obviously aiming to be as accurate as possible, you've got somewhere to start from. And the example I always use, let let, let's say you put a figure in your budget for the supply of a kitchen and you put £3,000 in for this kitchen to, you know, that it was yep. going to cost you to buy this kitchen. And, and you got some quotes from the usual kitchen suppliers and the best quote was 3500 Now, because you've put £3,000 in your budget, your brain is going to tell you, I need to make £500 saving here. I need, to, I need to phone them up. I need to negotiate. And you get chatting to them and they come back and they say, well, actually, you probably don't need that cupboard and you could put a cheaper worktop on it. And we've got this in a sale and you get down closer. Where I see property investors going wrong is they don't know that there might have been a chance of 3000 because they didn't even have that breakdown in the first place. They got 3500. They got a couple of other prices. They were all the same. We'll pay 3500. But because they thought they might do it for 3000, rightly or wrongly, it's given them something to talk about. And that's why I encourage anyone to put that budget together because it gives you something to start from. So what you've would you do then, Martin? The would you then go to the builder and say, right, I've got a budget of X. You've got to stick to it. I tend to go to the budget to builders and say, I've got a project that's roughly £50,000. I need you to price it. Right. But I'm doing that after I've prepared a detailed specification of exactly what I want. And of course, after I've bought the property or I know that we're far enough down the line that I'm going to be buying the property. I'm still stuck with that bit, you see, because I don't know anyone that's got an appetite of putting an offer in on a property if they don't know what the build cost is going to be. They need to come on one of my training courses. Because <laughs> <laughs> so, I've taught a lot of people, and it only takes two or three, two or three live jobs. I can't teach someone, you know, I could sit here and give you some prices. That wouldn't mean anything. If we looked at a real life case in front of you, I could teach you in about an hour and a half 
the nuts and bolts of what you're looking for. Uh, and particularly for your, you know, your listeners that are primarily doing HMOs, bearing in mind I'm doing all, you know, doing flat conversions and extensions and all sorts of things, you know, you know there's a lot of repetition, as you say, an ensuite, 3,000 pounds is a good place to start. And then we talk about how could it be a little bit less sometimes and how might it be a little bit more sometimes. Mm. And then when you're going viewing, you can, right, I want five, eight on suites in here, but I did notice that that one is going to be particularly difficult, difficult. So I'm going to put £4,000 in for that instead. Now, is it 4000 Is it 3800 If you've got, yeah, for every item that you're a few hundred pounds up, there'll be another item you get a few hundred pounds down. And so the whole lot will pretty much come out, you know, pretty close to, to what you think it is, as long as you think it all through. But it's, it's not going to come on the first project. It's going to take a little bit of time. You know what we do? I mean, of course, I've got an element of this in my program as well. And we do, we do teach individual breakdown costs. These are based on our conversions that we've done over the last 20 years. Um, and so we've got a good idea of what, of what we pay, but it is very localized as well, isn't it? Um, Absolutely, yeah. And what we tend to do is we don't use... We'll talk about contracts in a minute, but we don't use JCT contracts for small jobs yeah. uh, because we've got a team we've worked with for a long time. But when we do the larger jobs and if we're doing a build or anything and we put a JCT contract together, what we tend to do is we put the price that they've agreed into that JCT contract and we stipulate that it doesn't go above. But that also has got a good side and a bad side because if, the, if there are any... Um, elements that do need more money putting into they'll cut the cost from somewhere else in the job so again that isn't always the right thing to do we'll also have a clawback so that if they don't finish on time then then we, we will then penalize them for the yeah. amount of rent that we've lost during that period because you know yourself if we've got if we've got carpet fitters waiting and they're ready and we haven't finished the second fix yet then the whole project could just go back by two maybe even three months sometimes Absolutely. by the time you can get the carpet fitters back into the property yes and we've got tenants waiting to take over as well so my next question would be do you advise people to use a contract a jct contract or something similar or or not as the case may be so so per se on these on smaller projects don't bother trying to do a jct a couple of reasons for that first of all most of the smaller builders don't know them and they're scared of them although interestingly i believe the jct is actually weighted a little bit more towards the builder than the employer but the builders don't know them so don't try and use a jct the other thing with the jct is technically for it to be a law a legal contract you have to have three parties in that contract there's you, the owner of the building. There's there's the the builder themselves, and then there's also this other party called a contract administrator, um, which could be your architect, could be a project manager, might even be a quantity surveyor. Now, on most smaller projects, you don't have that that person involved. You might have had an architect do some drawings, but you don't necessarily need them involved any longer. So, I what what I tend to do on smaller projects, and it's this not just my and it's the ones I manage for other clients, is we just do a basic agreement of terms. So it, it's got the salient parts from the JCT. You know, when are we going to start? How much are we going to pay? How often are we going to pay? You know, what's the agreement for working out variations? Is there what you call clawback for, for delays? Anything else we need to do? And, and what I found is just by having that conversation with the builders, that 
you end up ironing out anything that that could be a problem you know the builder says oh i thought we i thought i i was expecting to do it in 20 weeks and you've told me it's only 16 where did 16 come from let's agree it but let's agree it before we start rather than part way into the project and now we've got this impasse because that's really what i teach everyone to avoid and yeah, iron out everything before you start. It just goes both ways, isn't it? Because yeah. you've never worked with the builder before, and likewise, they've never worked with you before either. And they need to make sure that they're getting paid and they're making money at the same time because we're all in business together. Um, and, but it is important, and all of these elements do need to be ticked off. Now, what if in the event of the job going way over budget, is there any safeguarding that investors you know new investors can stop that from happening i've got a case actually uh, probably about eight years ago and somebody came to me and they said that they just uh, finished their project and a builder presented them with a bill of 20 odd thousand pounds over and above what they'd agreed and they were distraught you know they really mm. didn't have the money to do it i think they had to go and borrow that money in order yes. to pay the builder how can we stop that from happening I, again, this comes down to that that meeting that what we'd call a pre-start meeting. So before you've got the builder going, you I always agree, what are the mechanics for dealing with variations? And that's really, really important if you've got a business partner, by the way, because you don't want your business partner giving out money on one hand whilst you're trying to save it on the other hand. Agree which one of the two of you is actually in charge of giving instructions out. Now, as best as possible, I want my builders to give me a price for a variation before they get on with it. Now, that's not always possible. You get the usual little emergency where they've got to you know, divert the drainage uh, you know, on a panic. That happens. But per se, you, you need to be in a position where they are engaging with you price-wise before variations. And therefore, I can very much say to them up front, Look, if you don't tell me the price and you haven't even told me it's a variation, then don't expect me to pay for a change at the end of the day. Mm. But if I can wind this right back to the beginning, I'd also say some of variations come out because some investors are almost starting the project before they've really thought through what they want. And I would say slow down a little bit at the beginning, gain, spend another week, think it through in a bit more detail, make sure that the builder is now do, pricing and doing the right bit. And then you'll find you've got half as many variations as you might run the risk of having. Okay. So we've walked through the process. So we've done, we've done the street walk. We've gone in and we've spoken to the builder. We're happy. We've had a little chat with them. We've had a, a pre-site visit. We've, we've maybe got a JCT contract. We've got an, um, a, an architect on board. So we've got the three people required. We sign everything off. What happens next? Who looks after CDM regs and stuff? So, so CDM... As a property owner, you are ultimately responsible for the safe delivery of that project. And CDM is construction design management, um, which ultimately comes down to health and safety. My advice to any property investor is unless you have got qualifications in that, you need a consultant to give you a steer. I, I have got lapsed qualifications. So... I, can, I take a little bit more risk than perhaps some others would should do. But as a property investor, unless you are trained in health and safety of managing site projects, then you need to have a consultant you know, giving you support. And it, it only costs 
500 pounds or so yeah, for most smaller could, projects we can get a principal contractor um and, and the whole project management for probably four four fifty yeah take it on do everything um and you'll be completely underneath their professional indemnity insurance yeah, absolutely and that and that's the key thing and, and it, it's like an insurance it's like your car insurance you don't ever want to have a claim but when you do need a claim having a consultant there that will yeah will guide you and support you yeah. could keep you out of court and you know, and yeah. worse keep you out of prison all of this kind of stuff if you don't know anything about it you you, you put yourself at a massive massive disadvantage and a huge risk as you say of yes. potentially a criminal conviction or even a prison sentence if things go wrong now for those that are watching that don't really understand i know martin and i i'm just very wary of using a few terminologies you might not understand so cdm is construction design management and that is your health and safety at work and that's where you'll see um signs outside the property saying wear hard hats um, hazardous substances and all of those kind of things now you don't necessarily need to have all of these elements for a small refurb but you might need to have some of them if in the event of you ripping out a bathroom you're going to need to have some kind of toilet facilities which comes under cdm regs so you need to be aware of all of that now there are loads of people that say well, well whatever i'll take my choice well all it would take folks is for your next door neighbor to phone health and safety or phone the council and say there's a building site next door and you don't think it's, or they don't think it's safe. Now, because a complaint's been made, they've got a duty then of to come out and they have to inspect the property. And if you're not compliant, then you could be prosecuted and it is quite heavy. So you've got to know about all of this. And Martin, this leads me on really nicely. Because sorry, sorry Rick, can I just back track on that and point, well, yeah, yeah. Point, say something really really important is be very very careful of the photos that you put on social media <laughs> because i see oh. photos with flagrant <laughs> breaches of health and safety on no. social media and it's like putting it out to the world that you've that you're doing something illegal a lot of the time you know when people sometimes people ask me a question about something and i just won't answer because i can't answer because if i do then you know i'm, I'm exposing myself out yeah. there to potentially you know all sorts of different things specifically we don't know i mean the building side of it is one thing but we don't know who's watching from the mortgage providers and the insurance companies and you know these communities are massive now and they've got people in them all of the time that could potentially go against you so sometimes i get criticized for not posting enough of my projects oh, do I. but there's a reason <laughs> yeah that, you know um because we've got two different businesses and yeah. we can't always mix them so it does lead me on nicely to say that i think at the moment it's fair to say i don't think it's only been any different but it's a bit more poignant at the moment about the whole training industry not just property but the whole anything that's to do with wealth building there are lots of groups out there that people have put together that you know they are dead against training and dead against helping people against mentoring everything so there's a, there's a saying that people, well, there are two sayings, actually, that people use a lot that I've seen. Those that can't do, teach. And the next saying is that it's all out there for free. All you have to do is go and look for it. So let's just brush the first saying aside. The second one, it's all out there for free. It's all on YouTube. So why would anybody pay 
X amount of pounds, thousands of pounds for an educational course that will give them all of those skills when they can self-learn by watching it on YouTube. I think the whole the key, key thing for me comes down to acceleration. Yeah, we could all look at YouTube, but how long would it take us to find the right information or find the right information at the right time? Um, and and is that information even totally relevant? Because it's very easy to find things on YouTube from America and, and construction methods are different in America and terminology is different in America. Um, so so I, I think, yeah, I think any kind of training and and I, I include myself in here because I'd not done any training until I jumped over from being a contractor to being a consultant and decided to do some training. It was in, then I started to realize the benefit of training and it is acceleration without any doubt Everything I've done since I got any kind of education in 2013 has happened far, far quicker because it's been tailor-made for me, an element of bespoke for me because I've had an element of one-to-one -one in there as well. Um, and, and importantly, it's keeping me totally up to date with whatever the market is today. HMO regulations change. I'm on a training course. It's, it's talked about the following, the following week, following month. I think there's a lot more as well that we could add to that and it was a bit of a leading question of course but I think when people say it's all there on YouTube go and watch it well let's break that down just a little bit more it might well be YouTube very often is opinion and it's not regulated of course but the property training section isn't regulated either so there could be a little bit of both that um, overlap with each other but you've got to know what to look for now I've just mentioned CDM we could talk about asbestos surveys. We could talk about HHSRS. We could talk about the HMO management regulations. We could talk about building regs. We could talk about soundproof. You've got to know what to look for. Now, very often when you look for something on YouTube, there is no, there is no substance to it after that particular mm. video. There's no continuity and there's no, you know, there's no system. So you might be able to, you might have heard somebody talk about asbestos so you google and you go into youtube and you learn a little bit about asbestos but then you need to find out what you can do with the two different types of asbestos and you know there's, there's so much more involved than yes. just looking on youtube and then there's the element of having a mentor that is there to guide you through the bad times because everything we do in business if there are you know ebbs and flows when you're down you need a mentor to help you get back on track and pick you up you're learning from somebody else's mistakes so like you said, it's about acceleration. If you can cut corners and you can do it lawfully and morally, then why not cut corners? So there is so much more, isn't there, with mentoring. Now, I've always had a mentor. I have one now. And I don't think I'd ever not be able to have one because as we grow, we want to step even further outside of our comfort zones and we want to do much, much more. So we find someone that's already done it so we can learn off the back of their mistakes. So I think... I, I think personally, if I didn't have a mentor, I wouldn't be anywhere near where I am now in all of the elements of my business. You know, I've got, um, I've got prop tech. So I've got GoTenant, my property software. Yeah. So I've got a, um, a technology mentor that helps me and um, helps me push with that business. Then, of course, I've got my social media business because it's a business, right? So people see people say, you know, why do you post on social media? Because it's a business. So I've got a social media mentor. And, and if I'm ever doing any projects in terms of building that I'm not sure of, then I will go to someone that's done it before. 
So you're right, it's acceleration, but I think there's a lot more into it as well when you've got someone that's got your back and helping you along the way to encourage you to do it. There is, yeah. you know, I, I think well, people say that property education is expensive. It may well be, but ignorance is way more expensive. Oh, You've got stories, Martin. That people oh, I've got so wanted. many of them. Yeah, and people, I mean, even just yesterday, I'm chatting away to someone and they hadn't understood VAT on their property. Yeah. And, and I, you know, off the cuff, I said, well, there you go. That saved you three times my fee in, yeah. in the first 10 minutes of the call. And that's going to be very hard. And we to haven't gone anywhere else yet. As well, you know, that, so that, that's it. About, you know, what Martin's referring to is 5% VAT um, rather than paying 20% VAT on certain conversions, i.e. if you're converting a house into a HMO can only be once you can't refurb and then claim that you're 15% back, but you can, uh, your builder should only be charging you 5% under oh, form 708 of the HMRC. Uh, yes, that's so, right. Yeah, there you go. So if you need to know more about that, you can contact Martin, of course. So Martin, all right. So we're having sort of shooting the breeze a little bit here. <laughs> um, in terms of moving forwards then in helping people, what can people do to contact you and, and what is it that you can offer them in terms of helping them move forward in their property journey? So, so as, you, as you said, my, my skills are construction and primarily the refurbishment end of construction, although I do do an element of new build as well. Um, so, and I am a property investor, so I'm thinking about you know, construction and refurbishment from a property investor's perspective. Kind of things like products I've got, I've got some, you know, some training courses, some online training courses. I've got some YouTube clips, by the way, which are brilliant, but unless you happen to watch them in the right order, you know, it's not, you haven't quite got the context, um, but but I've, so I've got some online training courses, and then I can teach and 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 do budgets and feasibilities, and then I've got an, a mentoring program as well for anyone who wants to manage their own scheme but wants to have someone on the end of a phone on a regular basis, um, and then and then for all of those, and and these are actually some of my previous earlier clients. I meet a lot of property investors who suddenly find that they just do not want to be managing construction projects. Yeah. They hate it or they've got a business that they can earn far more money on. So I've got a consultancy business as well, which is primarily in the southeast of England um, for, you know, for all of those property investors that have some have even been on my training course and done some projects and come back and said, no, never again. I ne you know, you can you can carry on doing it. So my team go in and do those ones. Awesome. So, so yeah, if people so want to contact you, what's the best way to do that? The easiest way to contact me is through the website. Go to uh, refurbishmentmastery.com. Uh, top right-hand corner or right at the top somewhere, there's a button that says book a call. Just go on there. There's several calls you can book. Book the free call and uh, yeah, we'll have a chat and I'll talk to you about what I do and how I can help you. I'm not a salesman, so you don't get a hard sell from me. You, you get a bit of a chat. And if you've just got a very quick question, what do I do? How do I solve it? Then, you know, you've got, you've got the answer to that for free in 20 minutes. Awesome. So, um, yeah, here to help. I'd rather help than, I don't mind helping out people that have gone wrong, but yeah, talk to me beforehand and yeah, we'll get you on the, on the right path in the first place. You know what, the amount of people that do come to me and say, um, I've just had notice served on me from planning. I've just bought a house to turn it into HMO and it's in an article four area. And it happens all the time. Yeah. I probably get, maybe for a year at least that people come to me privately and say, I'm in a mess. 
yeah. didn't know that I needed planning. And now I bought the property. What can I do? And so effectively, you put a planning application in and... and, and, and cross your fingers and hope that you get and, it. And cross your fingers, yeah. And in yeah. area, it might be very difficult. So, you know, for the sake of paying for an educational program, you're going to save money. You're going to expedite your journey as well. What do you think about the property market at the moment? Um, do you think it's a good time to get in or do you think people should wait? So... I think I think it's super hot at the moment. It, we you know, we got the spring market was held up because of first lockdown, um, so that's kind of just run into the summer. Um, so I'm keeping an eye on what's out there. We've done a few viewings, um, and in fact, I'm actually in the process of buying something that we got the deal accepted right after first lockdown. But it was off market, and it's a, it's not a you know it's not a run of the mill type property at all. So it's a, in, in, and. And it's also structured in a creative way. So um, I think they're still out there. But if you're looking for fairly straightforward houses to convert into an HMO, tread carefully at the moment. My thoughts are probably February, March next year. We'll see it. I think we'll see things yeah, just slowing down a bit. I think we'll find there's motivated sellers out there as you know, we talk about people that want to sell. Um, but I think that I don't know that we're going to see a massive drop off of the pro of prices. I don't see a big drop. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, don't I delay too long. I think going back, you know, to the beginning of lockdown one, all of the big players, the Ricks, um, Knight Frank, uh, Right Move, Zoopla, they're all saying between 50 and 20 percent downturn by the end of lockdown. And it didn't happen. No. In fact, I think we are over the year about 4.6 or 4.7 percent up yeah. over the year, which is pretty phenomenal considering all of the elements that have been thrown at us. And now people are talking about what's happening next year. And I did a report this morning, and I think this is going to be largely down to whether Rishi Sunak decides to double the um, capital gains or mm. not, as the case may be. Because if he does double the capital gains, then all of those people that have got private portfolios in their own name are either going to stick and hold and not sell which yeah. means there won't be as, as much stock on the market, which means prices will hold or go up, or they're going to incorporate, which will cost them quite a lot of money in certain circumstances, or they're going to sell quickly before it happens, which will flood the market, which will put a downturn on the price. And it's really difficult to know which way it's going to go. And of course, if stamp duty holiday does end on the 31st of March if it doesn't get extended then we're going to have a bit of a gold rush and I think we're seeing that now Martin yeah. I think we're at the pinnacle of that now that's going to start to slow down as well so yes. then effectively there will be more stock on the market than people will have any appetite for buying which will bring the prices down yeah. so it's really difficult and then of course on top of that we've got the you know, the furlough scheme, which will come to an end. We've got the unemployment levels, which people are predicting to be worse than they were, uh, they were during the Second World War, um, which is all going to have a, an adverse effect on affordability, which means people won't be buying as much property. So I think, and it is only my opinion based on all of the above, we're going to see a correction. But I don't think it's going to be massive. And I think yeah. people are going to be quite surprised. Yeah, I, I think I'd, I'd agree. A, a drop, but not a massive drop. And uh, and uh, but but there's so many factors at play here. I mean, there's always many factors at play, but we've we're deferring so many issues at the moment with the furlough scheme and we're distorting the figures with the stamp duty. And by the way, stamp duty, I think that is just everyone's got a saving on their stamp duty, but they've just paid over the odds to get it. So 
but yeah, most of them aren't investors or aren't yeah, savvy investors, so that's their own lookout. That's a very different way of looking at it, isn't it? Because the market's so buoyant right now, you know, property is is not sticking around for long, so people are paying over the odds on one hand, but then getting a small saving on the yeah, other, which kind of equates <laughs> and yeah. balances itself out. Absolutely. So I think it's interesting times at the moment, and I think mm. you know. In, in all credit to the government, they've done as much as they can. They've kept it alive, but it's going to have to come back from somewhere. So I think next year, when all of the all of the makeup gets washed off, I think we're going to see the true picture. Yeah. And maybe we'll have another conversation towards the middle part of next year to see yeah, sure. where we are retrospectively. Maybe we could refer back to this conversation. But I think... <laughs> It's a very interesting time right now. We're sitting on our hands. We've got no appetite for buying anything probably until February, March time next year when the market yeah. starts to really unveil itself and see what it really is like. Martin, what a great conversation. We've been chatting for nearly an hour. Um, I could talk to you all afternoon because <laughs> it's great to talk to somebody else that really understands the industry as much as you do and somebody that you know understands the market as well as you do as well because you've been in it pretty much most of your life. you know. And likewise, I've been yeah. investing for... I don't know, 27 or 28 years wow. now since Brilliant. we started. I know it's crazy. And I know I don't look old enough, but thank you. <laughs> well, I say that about building. To, how could I possibly have 30 years experience? <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? It really is. Martin, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. So for everyone that's listening to this on the podcast, if you make sure you do hit on that subscribe button, Martin's giving you his details. So if you want to pop over to his website, book in a consultation. And if you've got any questions at all about the things that we've covered today, you can follow me on Facebook. Facebook and you can put your question on my Facebook page. So Martin, I wanted to say thank you on behalf of my community and hopefully we'll catch up again soon. Yeah, thanks very much, Rick. It's great speaking to you and see you again soon. Thank you, Martin. Cheers. I'm Rick Gannon. Welcome back to my channel.